0: I'm going to read this morning from the book of Revelation, chapter 22, the very last book of the Bible, the very last chapter, and maybe if your Bible is like mine, the very last page. And these are the words of Jesus. And I'll read beginning at verse 16. Revelation 22, verse 16. Hear the word of God. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies of these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we're thankful this morning for your word and we need to hear from heaven we need your holy spirit to take this your word and put it into our hearts in such a way as we will believe it and be encouraged by it and be obedient to it and may the lord jesus christ be exalted here and in our lives and may we see him today he who is with us and this we pray thanking you in jesus name amen Well, before I forget, I also want to mention that this is my second visit to your church. I was here a few weeks ago, and I uh, heard Pastor Rick preaching to you, and I was a little late getting here because of the, the distance and the unfamiliarity of the trip and all that, but I was here um, almost an hour early this morning, which I'm glad for. I made up for last time, and um, maybe... If I come again, which I hope I will, I'll be able to bring my wife, and you can meet her as well, and perhaps my son. But she wasn't able to be here today, sort of needed back home. Here I am, and we're looking at this portion of God's Word, the very last chapter of the Bible, and that's significant. Anytime there's a last chapter, a last word spoken, by anyone, it's usually very significant and very important. And these are the very last words of Jesus. The very last words of his revelation to people. The entire Bible is a revelation of God through Jesus Christ, from Genesis to Revelation. But this is the very last. And I think there's something significant about the last words of Jesus. We have the last words of Jesus before he went back to heaven after his death and resurrection. He gave the great commission and he also said to his disciples, "You will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and all the world." And then he was taken up. He ascended into heaven in front of them. But those last words he spoke to them were so important. He wanted them to understand that the gospel was to be taken to the whole world. And they couldn't do it on their own, but he would give them his Holy Spirit. That was his last message to them before going back to heaven. But he speaks again. He came to John, the apostle on the island of Patmos. And he revealed great truths to John, especially truths concerning the future. And then, at the end of this great series of visions, he speaks again, and he speaks for the last time. Chapter 22 Revelation, the Bible closes. Well, there's a concordance and a bunch of other things at the end in most Bibles, but that's the end of Revelation. The last words of Jesus, and they're important. We find here several things that are important to Jesus, we find out what matters to him. And I do believe that if we want to know what matters to Jesus the most, this is a good place to go. What matters to Jesus? Well, there are three or four things I'd like to set before you this morning that matter to Jesus, that are important to him, and therefore should be important to you and to me. First, from verse 16, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things. I, Jesus. And I want you to know, first of all, that Jesus has a name, and it's important to him. What matters to Jesus is his name. Now that doesn't sound too profound, but it really is, as we understand what that name means. The name of Jesus is the name above all names, isn't it? At that name, one day, every knee will bow. And your name is very important to you. You like people to get it right. Sometimes if, someone continues to mispronounce your name, you're very gracious and you may not say anything, but you just wish they'd get it right. Names are important to us. It's what we have all our lives. We carry our names with us. And we want our names to be in good reputation. We want to make sure that we don't do anything that's going to dishonor our name. Our names are important to us. And if that's so for you and me, it's really true for Jesus because his name is the name above every name (coughs) consider his name with me for a few moments and understand that this name Jesus is his personal name it's not his official name it's not one of his many titles he has many titles there in verse 13 He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Those are his titles, we might say, but not his personal name. Throughout the book of Revelation, he's called the Lamb. That's the title that's used most often in the book of Revelation. We see him, for instance, in chapter 5. He makes this dramatic appearance There, before the throne of God, the um, living creatures are gathered, and the elders and the angels. And there's this seven sealed book, and nobody's worthy to open it. And then the Lamb steps forward. And from then on, he has center stage in the book of Revelation. But he's the Lamb because he was slain for our sins, he was put to death. And he bore the punishment of our sins as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But that's his title. He has some official names. Emmanuel. You can read a host of his names there in Isaiah chapter 9. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those are his official names. But Jesus is his personal name. That's what we call him. That's who he is. But it's also his human name. Jesus. His human name. This is the name by which he was called at his home in Nazareth. When he was growing up, he was called Jesus. Joseph would say to him, Jesus, bring this stool to your mother. He had a very normal upbringing. By that I mean he was a child like you and I were children and some of you here perhaps still are. He was a child in a home. He had siblings and he had a mother and a father who looked after him to whom he was obedient and he was called Jesus in that home. Now his humanity then is very important to Jesus. He identifies with you and me. He is one with us. And understand that Jesus did not become a man merely for 30 years so that he could accomplish his purposes here. He became a man forever. He is still a man. He always will be a man. He will never give up his humanity. He's one with us. And that's important to him. That matters to him. He wants to be a man. And for eternity, he had dwelled as God, with God. Then he became a man. He's still God, but now he's a man. The God-man. He wants to be one with us. He became human by choice, you see. We're human by creation, but he is human by choice. And so his human name is very important to him because you are important to him. As men and women, boys and girls, you're important to Jesus. And so he retains voluntarily his humanity and his human name. But of course, the name Jesus is his saving And that's why it's important to him, his saving name. Back in Matthew chapter 1, the angel said to Joseph, Call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means, in Hebrew, God saves. Jesus would mean almost nothing to us if he were not a savior for us. We couldn't love him. We couldn't adore him. We wouldn't be blessed by him. But because he came to save us, our sins are put away. We have eternal pardon. We're right with God. We have a home in heaven because Jesus is our savior. Call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And this is so important to Jesus. When he was here, he told people that the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. He said to Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Son of Man is not coming to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, he said. His salvation that he gives is so important to him because he wants us saved. I love that text in 1 Timothy chapter 2 where the apostle writes that God will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Salvation is so very important to God, the Father, and to Jesus, the Son, who became the Savior. So that's his saving name, Jesus. It's important to him then. He identifies himself as Jesus. He says, I, Jesus. At this point, he doesn't use one of his official titles. He doesn't say, I, the King of kings and Lord of lords. I, the Messiah of Israel. I, Emmanuel. He says, I, Jesus. He identifies himself by his Personal name, his human name, his saving name. And that's what he did to Saul of Tarsus. Do you remember what we read earlier in the book of Acts? There was Saul of Tarsus hating Jesus, hating Christians, wanting to wipe out the church. And there on the road to Damascus, as he was going there to arrest Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem as prisoners, who does he meet? The glorious Lord Jesus Christ appears to him. What does the Lord say to him after Saul inquires? Who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus. He uses his personal name, his human name, his saving name. It was important to him to use that name, and it should be important to us to use it as well. So what I'm saying to you this morning is that we should use the name of Jesus. We should use it in prayer. My wife tells me I get very picky sometimes about things, and especially words. I'm a word person, and I sometimes am a little too careful about such things. But I think this is important, and sometimes Christians pray maybe without really thinking what they're saying. And you might have heard Christians praying in the name of the Father. And they don't probably realize they're doing that because they open their prayer with Dear Father and they close the prayer with In Your Name. And they're actually praying to the Father in the name of the Father, which really doesn't make sense because Jesus told us to pray in His name and people pray in the name of Christ there's nothing wrong with that but why not use the name that Jesus himself identifies himself with and he tells us to pray in his name so let's use the name of Jesus when we pray and then when we praise him let's use his name and when we talk about him to one another and to unbelievers let's Use the name of Jesus. Now, of course, he has many official names, many official titles. We can use them all in the right context, but let's not forget to use his personal name, his human name, his saving name, which he himself loves, the name of Jesus. What else is important to him? Let's read on. He says, I, Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. What's important to Jesus? The churches are important to Jesus. This very last piece of revelation It began with Moses, the book of Genesis. Unless you want to Think about Job as the earliest book of the Bible, but it was all given by inspiration of God, Genesis through the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then on to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the epistles of Paul and Peter. This is the very last of God's word to men, and it was sent. To churches, Just like the epistles of Paul and Peter, this epistle of Jesus, as you will, if you will, was sent to churches. And as you read the opening chapters of the book of Revelation, you find that there were seven churches that were recipients of this original writing. What John wrote there on the Isle of Patmos, I don't know where he got the writing instruments or whatever he used to write on there on that island, but he found something to write with. And he wrote what he was told to write, and he wrote everything he saw by way of vision and everything he heard. And Jesus said to him, send it to the seven churches. And you can read about those churches in the first chapters of Revelation. Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, Philadelphia, and so on. Seven churches received this original book of Revelation. We find that the churches are important to Jesus. Five of those churches had very severe problems, as you remember. The problem of lovelessness, the first one. You've lost your first love, Jesus said. What a horrible thing that is. Two of the churches had very serious problems with immorality. One of them was fading. Lifelessness had come to that church. Another was lukewarm. Jesus said, I wish you were either hot or cold, but I can't stand lukewarmness. And so these five churches that had severe problems... He threatens them for those problems. He says to one of them, I will remove your lampstand unless you repent. They would cease to exist as a church, apart from repentance. To another, Jesus said, Repent or I will come to you and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He threatens these churches for their sins and their waywardness and their failures. And then, at the same time, though, he assures them of his love. And that's a very precious thing because here are these five churches that had glaring faults and serious sins, and yet Jesus assures them of his love for them. He says, for instance, to one of them, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Why does he rebuke them? Why does he chasten them? Why does he threaten them? Because he loves them. He says, therefore be zealous and repent. But also he pleads with them. To one of them he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. He pleads. I'm waiting. I'm knocking. I want your fellowship. I want your heart warmed to my presence. Five churches with severe problems, and they all matter to Jesus. Aren't you glad this morning that if a church has problems, even serious ones, Jesus doesn't immediately write them off, he doesn't expunge them out of existence? But he pleads with them. He rebukes them. And he loves them still. That's Jesus. His churches matter to him. Then there were two churches, two out of the seven, which had no apparent failures or sins, only commendations by Jesus. There was the persecuted church, which stayed faithful in spite of the persecution. And he encourages them. He says, be faithful unto death. He says, do not fear. He says, you'll have tribulation, but only 10 days. He encourages them. Then there's that other persevering church, which he encourages. And he says, see, I have left you an open door. That church was apparently small, and it had little strength. But Jesus says, I have set before you an open door. To another, he says, hold fast what you have two churches full of commendation and yet they matter to him all of them all seven churches and grace is extended to all of them look at verse 21 this epistle, this revelation this bible ends on the note of grace verse 21 the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all grace for all the churches shall we say, the bad ones and the good ones, the weak ones and the strong ones. And that's the way it is with Jesus. All his churches matter to him. And of course, by extension, we know that throughout the centuries, all his churches have mattered to him. They're all included in this blessing at the end, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. It's to all the churches of all the ages. They're all included. This church, in East Ham, Nosset Baptist Church is included. This church matters to Jesus. A church in Hicksville matters to Jesus. Large churches, small churches, troubled churches, struggling churches, successful churches, they all matter to Jesus. This church, Nauset Baptist Church, matters to Jesus. Now it doesn't matter if you have any problems. I don't know if you do. It doesn't matter how small you may be. Nothing matters but Jesus loving you as His people, as His church. That's what matters and I'm so encouraged by what he says to that Philadelphia church which was apparently small because I can relate to that our church in Hicksville is small we don't have much by way of resources and yet he gives us an open door the door is literally open this morning I can see out and that's a great symbol of the fact that the door is open People can come. People can hear the gospel. And God loves this church. It matters to Jesus. So as his church, if we matter to him, what do we do as his church? Well, verse 17, we find the word bride there. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life. Freely. The bride is supposed to say, Come. And the Spirit speaks through the bride. And it's really the word of Jesus. This word, Come. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. Let him who thirsts, Come. That word, Come, is one of Jesus' words. As you read the Gospels, you find Jesus saying, Come. Over and over, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come to me and drink, he says. Living water, I can give you. This living water, of course, symbolic of the life that he gives, the eternal life. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So we, as his bride, we as his church, because we matter to him, we use his word in this world, this word, come, come. When we invite people to Jesus, we invite people to the living water. What else matters to Jesus? Well, interestingly enough, we go on to read about his ancestry. And that matters to Jesus. Look again at verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. Now, don't forget, these are the closing words of Jesus, the last words he speaks in the Bible, the very last page of Scripture, Revelation. And he connects himself with David. There are so many things that you might think he would have said or should have said, He doesn't link himself to the great apostle Paul here. He doesn't link himself with any of the 12 disciples, apostles. He doesn't link himself here to Moses, to Abraham. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David. Here, his ancestry is important to him. And I want you to note this morning that Jesus is not ashamed to be associated with David. David the man, the man who fell. He was the great king of Israel. And yet, he had great sins. His many sins and failures were written large in the Old Testament record. But they're not recorded here. They are not remembered here. Jesus says, I am the root and the offspring of David. Doesn't that mean something to you? That this man, David, whose life was indeed blemished by those very, very obvious sins. Yet what happened to David? those sins were washed in the blood of Jesus. The very first chapter of Revelation in verse 5, to him who loves us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Mm -hmm. That happened to David. And David, like you and me, is a blood washed, child of God, brother of Jesus. And Jesus is not ashamed to be associated with David. That encourages me. Because like David, I have sins of which I'm ashamed. And yet Jesus doesn't wash his hands of me. Instead, he washes me in his blood. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David. His ancestry is important to him. David himself is important to Jesus. Jesus here was not thinking of those sins that we know about in the life of David, he was not remembering them. How gracious. Jesus remembers instead David's achievements. Jesus remembers David's heart. In spite of all his failures, David was a man after God's own heart. And if a man or a woman, boy or girl, has a heart for God, in spite of failures and sins, that means... So much to him. In fact, if you look back at verse 12, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Jesus has rewards for those who have served him. Now, everyone who serves Jesus serves him with imperfections and sins and failures. But the sins and failures don't take away from the achievements and the works that we've done for him. And those works matter to him. And he will reward them. Graciously, he will reward them. He has a reward for David. And David's reward will not be taken away because of David's sins and failures. That's how gracious Jesus is. No word about David's sins here. David washed in the blood of Jesus. He'll be given his reward So his servants matter to Jesus. Let's be encouraged by that because Jesus is gracious to you and me with our sins and failures, things even that we're ashamed of. Mm -hmm. Jesus owns us as his own. And let's be humbled by the fact that in spite of those sins and failures, he's still going to reward us for whatever we've done for him. So he's not ashamed of David and his ancestry matters to him. Notice too that he's not ashamed of being Jewish. That's part of his ancestry. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David. Jesus has a Jewish ancestry and he is still a Jew up there in heaven. This man, this glorious man, this savior of ours is still Jewish. And he's not ashamed of being Jewish because that's who he is. And that's who his earthly people are. Now in this world today, there's still a lot of hatred for Jewish people, a lot of despising of Jewish people going on in many places. Anti-Semitism is rampant today well Jesus is not ashamed of being Jewish and there's much in the book of Revelation that is Jewish the twelve tribes named in chapter 7 and even people who think that those twelve tribes are symbolic of the church whatever your interpretation of the book of Revelation may be he still uses Jewish names the twelve tribes of Israel There's the Jewish temple in chapter 11 of Revelation. There's the New Jerusalem, chapters 21 and 22. Our eternal home is called the New Jerusalem. That's a Jewish name. We're going to be living in a Jewish city, you might say, forever. The gates of the city have upon them the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus is not ashamed of being Jewish. His Jewish ancestry still matters to him. He refers to it in his very last words. We are reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul who said, They are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. And I believe, after I read the book of Revelation and come to these closing words, that Jesus still loves Jewish people he loves the world but he loves Jewish people I think in a special way they are beloved for the sake of the fathers and let's not forget Jewish people in our invitation when we give out that invitation come to the living water let's include Jewish people and let's pray for them so whatever matters to Jesus should matter to us His name, his churches, even his ancestry. And there's so many other things that matter to him. We won't spend any time on them, but we've mentioned verse 17. The gospel invitation, come. Come and drink from the living water that Jesus can give give you. The gospel matters to him. Verses 8 and 19. His words matter to him. He says, I testify to everyone who heard, hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. The book of Revelation matters to Jesus. He wants us to read it. just as an aside, um, I chuckle at the many different books that have been written as commentaries. And they all differ, don't they, on the book of Revelation. And I saw one title that said Revelation for Dummies. And I wondered if I should go buy it. But I, I didn't. I think it's just enough to read it and be blessed by it. Because the main truth that's given to us in Revelation is that Jesus Christ is the ultimate victor. Jesus Christ will be victorious over all his enemies. Jesus is coming. And no matter what your particular eschatological, theological perspective is on a lot of the issues dealing with Revelation, Jesus is coming. Jesus will be victorious. And it's a blessing just to read this without the commentaries. Just read it and be blessed. His words matter to him. And his coming matters to him. Verse 20, he who testifies these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Three times in this last chapter, he says, I'm coming. Verse 7, behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 12, behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. And here, the penultimate verse of Scripture, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Jesus wants us to know that he's coming. I can't understand how there are some people, now I'm getting into that theology stuff, that eschatology stuff. There are some people who claim that the events of the book of Revelation happened in the first century. I just can't wrap my mind around that kind of review view of things because I think he's coming. And we find that not only in the book of Revelation, but he speaks about his coming in the Gospels. He's, it, we find it in the epistles. It's a future event. It's a magnificent event. Jesus Christ will be glorified in among all the intelligent beings of the universe and he'll be glorified in us and we will see him and his coming will be a glorious appearing. And he hasn't come to this earth yet. Didn't the angel promise those 12 apostles after Jesus says to them, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, you'll be my witnesses in all the world? And then Jesus ascends to heaven. Did the angel say to those 12 apostles, the same Jesus is coming back in like manner as you saw him go into heaven? I don't know how we can theologize that into a coming that already happened in the first century. I just can't wrap my mind around that. The angel said, he's coming back, just like he went. He's going to touch down. You might say, on this earth, this earth matters to him. He created it. He died on this earth for our sins. He rose from the dead on this earth. He's coming back to this earth. And he's going to remake it. New heavens, new earth. In which righteousness will dwell forever. Jesus is coming. And his coming should matter to us so that we can pray in verse 20, even so come, Lord Jesus. And as we allow the things that matter to Jesus, as we allow them to matter to us, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with you all. Amen. Let us pray. How thankful we are, gracious Father, that there are many things that matter to Jesus. He's not indifferent to the things that happen in this world, He's not indifferent to our struggles in our churches, in our personal lives. He is intimately involved with us, He loves us, each one. And His name is important, His saving work is important. His churches are important. We are important. His coming is important to Him. Oh God, grant grace that all of this will matter to us more and more and that we will take seriously the gospel invitation which is important to Jesus. That we might tell men and women, boys and girls, whenever we meet them, wherever we are with them, come, Jesus invites you. living water we thank you and pray in Jesus name, Amen